God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Even Jesus Christ. He was conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He crucified. He descended into death. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church. Resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Steve Williams. I'm uh, the founding pastor here at North Point Church, and it's just great to be with you guys. Good to be with those of you who are here in the room. I think we may actually have some asbestos uh, coated people outside uh, sitting uh, on our patio. And, uh, of course, we uh, welcome those of you who are sitting at home. And, uh, gosh, this is a vacation time of the year. You may be driving along the interstate watching us. What a day we live in. Uh, But uh, we're happy to welcome you. And a special shout-out to those of you out in Kerman uh, at uh, the Shed Church out there. Uh, Gene and I are planning to be with you guys next Sunday. So that'll be fun to finally uh, get a chance to experience that. Hey, I'm just so glad you're here today. I want to take a second and brag on one of our members here, uh, by the way. Um, You know, world records don't happen all that often. And this week, one of our members set a world record. And uh, I want to uh, just kind of give a shout out to him, a guy named Joseph Oldham. I happened to see this in the business journal. Was going to attempt to fly an electric airplane, okay? Electric airplane uh, farther than anybody else. Flight plan was to uh, go all the way to Sacramento and back. They had to deviate slightly, but uh, he actually this week accomplished that, set the world record for the longest flight of an electric airplane using an off-grid power source. And so, uh, you know, they, they used uh, solar panels to, uh, to do it. I went out to watch him take off, you know, KC-24 was out there, and, and uh, it was really a cool thing. In fact, uh, you know, it was, it was really cool Uh, Not long ago, he was on Nova. They highlighted something he's doing on Nova, and he was wearing, this is a North Point Life is Better Together shirt on Nova. How cool was that? And uh, so uh, I went out uh, Wednesday morning, Chandler Field, and uh, we got that video just to show you his his takeoff here. I mean, he started that thing. It wasn't any more loud than than a house fan, and there he is, airborne. So, uh, hey, if you guys, uh, if you know Joseph or you see him, give him a pat on the back. Uh, it, you know, it's really cool. He has a, a vision and a mission to help especially uh, underprivileged and underserved youth uh, get pilot training through these electric airplanes. It's really a cool thing. In fact, if you'd like to know more about it, just email me, Pastor Steve at northpoint.org, and uh, I'll get you hooked up with uh, Joseph, but we're, we're really proud of him. Now, we're in a series right now that we've been calling The Creed, and I'm thrilled to have the chance to talk to you today about that. In fact, in your bulletin, I want to invite you to pull out this little card uh, that we printed up. Uh, you know, people have wondered, well, why, why are we doing a series on The Creed? It's, it's actually what's called the Apostles' Creed, and the reason for that, it's, a, it's one of the earliest Christian statements of faith Uh, that was written in the 4th century, about 300 years after Jesus, and it really reflects quite well the teaching of the New Testament about important Christian doctrines. And so we thought, 
this might be valuable for us to just look at these Christian doctrines. So we're using it through, uh, if you will, the matrix of uh, the, the Apostles' Creed. Now, I, I just have to say, um, our church, North Point, stands in what it would really be called the Baptist tradition in our, in our doctrine and our beliefs. Uh, I would say, you know, we stand in the Baptist current of the river that flows called Christianity. And among Baptists, we don't use the word creed. It's been our tradition to not do that because the word creed technically means a standard by which you decide whether someone is saved or not, whether they're authentic, whether they're orthodox. And Baptists have always believed that, uh, that no denomination or church should determine who's orthodox, who's authentic, who's saved or not. Only Christ can determine that. And so rather than using the word creed, we use the word statement of faith. But it, it basically uh, means the same thing. And uh, so I thought it would be valuable today to just take a moment. Many churches actually make a part of their worship liturgy uh, saying the Apostles' Creed each week. I thought it'd be good for us at this point in this series to just read this together. Now, there's a phrase in here that a lot of us Protestants have a problem with, um, where it says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. But that doesn't mean what you think it means. And next week, Pastor Shane's going to straighten that all out for you, okay? I'm not going to try to do that. But uh, I wonder if we could just read this together uh, as a confession of our faith this morning, all right? Here we go. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, this is a tremendous statement of, uh, of Christian faith. And what I want to do today, I want to focus in on some statements that are in here. I want to talk to you today about the unavoidable Jesus. And what I mean by that is really the inescapable Jesus. And frankly, there's a lot of people who'd love to just ignore him and not think about him, but that's really not possible because of what Scripture declares and the creed reflects. And I want you to look at that. Now, I don't want to preach on the Apostles' Creed today, but I do want to preach on what the Scriptures say that it emphasizes. And here's a passage of Scripture right at the top of your notes, if you've pulled those out today, that uh, I want you to look at with me. Philippians chapter 2. It recounts much of what we've just read. It says this, have this same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore God high, exalted him to the highest place 
and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, this passage says some clear things about Jesus Christ that, frankly, friend, just cannot be ignored. In fact, uh, the way the creed states it, in fact, we're going to begin with the, the statements that start on the third day he rose again. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead because there are four Christological truths there that I want to I talk to you about. Now, that's a big theological word. I thought I'd throw it in just to impress you with my education so you'd think this guy knows something. And, uh, hey, I worked hard for my education and paid a lot for it. You've got to show it off every now and then, don't you? And so, uh, you know, bio- biology is a study of life. Zoology, the animal life. Theology is the study of God. Christology is the study of Christ. And what the creed is giving is four Christological ideas that are that it declares that are very important. In fact, um, why don't I just, let me real quick give you these four. If you've pulled out your notes, let's just write them in real quick, and then I'll come back and we'll, we'll touch on the first three, and I really want to spend the most time on the latter part of the message uh, today. Uh, here are the four. First of all, it affirms Jesus transformed personhood. And it describes many ways in which Jesus transformed himself to come in the world, but specifically when it speaks of, on the third day he rose again. And we'll talk about this, that on that third day, something was very unique about Jesus. Here's a second idea, and that is that Jesus' supreme position. Because of what he did, the book of Philippians that we've just read says God highly exalted him and gave him a name that's above every name. The way the creed puts it is that he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. The right hand in Jewish thinking was the position of authority and power and equality. The third truth is Jesus' imminent return. And what we mean by that is is that he could come any time. In fact, Scripture teaches that. He will come at a time that we don't expect him to be coming. And uh, and the creed literally says this, he will come again. He will come again. Then the fourth idea is Jesus' evaluation that's ultimate. Jesus' ultimate evaluation. He will come again, it says, to judge the living and the dead. And so these are the four big ideas that I, I want you to be thinking about with me. Let's go back and, and, uh, and let's touch on some of these, uh, y- you know, Pastor Shane and Pastor Colin. Last week, Pastor Kevin uh, did a great job talking about. But I just want to touch them to tie them together to, to what we're talking about today, about the unavoidable Jesus. Jesus transformed personhood. And what we mean by this is that Jesus Christ was the first human being in history to die and be raised again with a resurrection body. Now, Jesus himself raised people from the dead. Even in our own time, there are people who get resurrection, the glorified body. And if you will, when Jesus rose again, he was a completely different kind 
of human being, had human form quite different than before the resurrection. Uh, I recently, I read uh, Reader's Digest, one of the officers in the military wrote about uh, the military base that he's serving on Easter Sunday, a chaplain, uh, you know, was doing the service, and one of the things that he did was call the children forward to do a little kid's sermon, and so he called all the kids forward, and, and they came forward, and he recounted to them about Jesus and how he was crucified by the Roman soldiers, and then taken off the cross, and he was placed in a tomb, and they, they rolled the stone in front of the tomb to close and seal the grave. And then he said this, but on the third day, the stone was rolled away, and Jesus was not there. Do you know what happened next? And one kid shouted out, yeah, he turned into a zombie and he went after those Roman soldiers. <laughs> well, some of us would like for the story to have ended that way, but that, that's not what I'm saying here. He didn't turn into a zombie, but his form was changed. If I could put it this way, if we could have taken a DNA sample of his body when they laid it into the tomb, and take a DNA sample of him after the resurrection, assuming resurrection bodies will have DNA, it'd be a diff different kind of a DNA. In fact, the whole story of Jesus, would you, here's the important point, if you'll write this down. He altered himself forever for me. Because the whole story of Jesus is the story of him emptying himself, the eternal son of God becomes and he did that for you, and he did that for me. That's really what he wants us to remember. He is forever altered for me. In fact, one of the things about his resurrection body, so amazing, is he still had scars in his hands. Still had a wound in his side where, where a spear pierced him. If you could examine him, probably still had the lash marks on his back where he was beaten before he was given his cross. You see, Jesus Christ forever is altered for you and me. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's our condition and our need. And all are justified freely by his grace. Those five words, justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And what I'm saying to you, friend, is that when Jesus Christ came, he altered himself forever so that he could accomplish that redemption, that atonement for you and me. You've heard, some of you have heard me use this example before. Gene and I just, uh, I was reminded of this, we just traveled through the northern uh, part of the, our country we'd never been to, going across Wyoming and stuff, especially when we dropped south from Wyoming uh, into Utah, we went across the plains, and I was just remember, uh, remembering and reminded of how in the times of the pioneers when these big brush fires would just blow across the plains, and because of the winds, they would move very rapidly. Uh, the wagon trains knew there was no way they could outrun them, and so they only had one option, and that was to set a backfire close to them and burn off the grass around them so that then they could take their wagons into that area because they knew once the fire reached, it, the fire can't burn what's already been burned. 
That's the safe zone that they could be in. And friends, if you will, Jesus Christ and his death on the cross provided a safe zone for you and me that by God's grace, we wouldn't have to stand for condemnation or wrath. And he did that for you and for me. He did it for everybody. I love the story told of, on the East Coast, three clergymen. One was a Protestant, one was a Catholic, one was a Jewish rabbi. And, uh, the, the, you know, the Catholic and the Protestant, like on Christian holidays, love to send cards to their Jewish buddy just to poke him, you know. Christmas time, they'd send him a Christmas card. And Easter, celebrating Easter card, you know. And, well, one Rosh Hashanah, the rabbi turned the tables and he sent a card, and in it he wrote, roses are red, Violets are bluish. When Messiah comes, you'll wish you were Jewish. (laughs) Now, friends, I want to tell you that whether you're a Protestant or a Catholic or a Jew or a Muslim or a Hindu or a Sikh or a nun, Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross so that you could be made right with God. He did it for you. He did it for me. And by the way, God's going to keep reminding you of that throughout your entire life. He's trying to confront you with the truth of that until you can rest in it and rest in him. Well, I can't take that long with all these points that I'm going to touch on because I want time for the, the lighter part. So let's hit number two, Jesus' supreme position. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father is the way the Apostles Creed put it we just read from Philippians 2 God highly exalted him and he gave him a a position that's above every other person every name that's named and what scripture declares is that God gave him this preeminent position as Lord over all people and cultures and religions and government over the nations as King of Kings and Lord of Lords that is who he is whether we recognize him as that or not, that's who God presented. By the way, notice that it's God that presented him that way. It's God that presented him. Christians didn't present him. The church didn't present him that way. God presented him as the Savior, as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'll never forget, our family moved to Fresno in um, uh, 1969. I was in high school, going to Hoover High School, and uh, we, we moved in late uh, December, and that year, you know, it just seemed like, uh, you know how Fresno can be? It's just gray sometimes during the winter, and, and it was foggy. Uh, we had storms that happened and so forth, and uh, I'll never forget a day in January of 1970. I was walking home from Hoover High. I remember as if, as if it happened last month, and I'm cruising down, you know, First Street toward my house. We didn't live far. And all of a sudden, it was a windy day, beautifully clear day, but really windy. And as I'm walking along, I turn to the right, and lo and behold, here are the Sierra Nevada mountains, and they're snow-capped. And I remember, I just stopped and said, whoa, where did you come from? And, you know, the reality is, I was the new kid on the block. If scientists are right, those... They've been there for millions of years. I just was finally seeing them for what they are. And friends, I want to leave this thought with you that Jesus 
Write this down. He's what everything's about. That's what Philippians is saying. That's what it means that he was ascended and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. That Jesus is the Father's beloved Son. He's his ideal for what persons should be like and his image is what God desires that we be. Ephesians 1 puts it this way. God has allowed us to know the secret of his plan and it's this. He purposes in his sovereign will that all human history shall be consummated in Christ and everything that exists in heaven or earth shall find its perfection and fulfillment in him. An interesting statement. All human history will be consummated in Christ. You see, history really is his story. And by the way, the next time somebody says something to you like, well, you know, you, you need to believe this way or think this way or do it this way because you don't want to be on the wrong side of history. Friend, I want to tell you, you better just factor Jesus of Nazareth into that equation about history because history is moving to be his story. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says this, God created the whole universe through him and for him. Christ existed before all things and in union with him. You see, those, that's what that phrase used 200 times in the New Testament, 200 times or more, in Christ, being in him. The, Verse in Ephesians uses it twice. It's what it means. That in union with him, everything has its proper place. Because, friend, he is what everything's about. The unavoidable Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Now, you can come now and do that in love or you'll do it later in judgment but this is who he is. Here's the third thing, and that's Jesus' imminent return. The creed says he will come again. And the New Testament says the same thing. 385 times the New Testament talks about the coming again in history of Jesus of Nazareth. Almost one in every 25 verses in the New Testament explicitly deals with the coming again of Christ. In fact, uh, the Bible says that history is moving toward a concluding day when Jesus will reappear and it'll be called the day of the Lord and it's a day of only God the Father knows, Jesus said. In fact, Revelation 1-7 and 22 20, the very last book in the Bible, notice the book starts by saying, look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, the unavoidable Jesus even those who pierced him. Now wait a minute, those people who pierced him lived 2,000 years ago. But see, he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. And all peoples on the earth will mourn because of him, and so shall it be. And then the book closes with Jesus' own words where he says, yes, I'm coming soon. And the book says, amen. Boy, isn't that an amen. And don't we find ourselves saying, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Yeah. But I want to tell you that when he comes, it's going to be a different kind of Jesus than we've ever seen. You see, for 2,000 years, Jesus of Nazareth, he's been kind of working quietly and 
humbly, patiently, diligently, kind of under the radar in many ways, just calling people to himself and preparing them for the eternity that he's planned. But if you'll write this down, when he comes, write this down, he'll appear in his full glory. See, when he came the first time, he came humbly. He was a baby born, laid in a manger. He was a human being who lived humbly as a servant. He was mortal. But since his resurrection, he's immortal. And he is the eternal one, and he's going to come on that day, and he's going to come in his full glory. Let's look at these next three verses before we move on to the, to the final truth I want to emphasize. Matthew 24, 30. These are the words of Jesus. He says, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Now circle that phrase, Son of Man. This was Jesus' favorite way to refer to himself as the Son of Man. In fact, some people say, well, Jesus called himself the Son of Man. He didn't really call himself Son of God. That's not true. But, but people don't understand that he's using that phrase, the Son of Man. They don't understand the Jewish context of that. I don't have time to go into detail, but just write this passage down and check it out later. Daniel, the Old Testament, Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Right out next to Son of Man. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. And what that describes is the Messiah of glory. So when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, that's what he's talking about. The Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now, as I said, this is a Jesus we've never seen. He's coming like a conquering king, like a warrior. Revelation describes him riding on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth. This is why people mourn at his presence. Isaiah 2, verses 17 to 19, describes this day when Messiah comes in glory like this. Look what it says. The arrogance of man will be brought low and human pride humbled. By the way, that word humbled, Jesus did this. He humbled himself. Did you know that that's the attitude that will take you near to the very heart of God and helps you to know what his love for you is really like? And so that's why he's trying now to humble us, to bow the knee. That's what that means. Human pride will be humbled. And then look at what it says. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Can I put it this way? CNN, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox News, none of them are, nobody's going to be listening to the talking heads that day. Wolf Blitzer won't have any situation room because there's only one person that's going to matter, and that's Jesus of Nazareth, and everybody's going to see him for themselves on that day. Wow. And the idols will totally disappear. What that means is all of the false objects and notions that we've been deceived by and we think matter will suddenly fall away and be totally unimportant. Nobody's going to care where the stock market finished its trading that day. I bet you Facebook won't have any posts. Because people will flee to caves and rocks and holes in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor 
of his majesty. You have never seen a Jesus like this, my friend, and neither have I. Zechariah 14, 9 says, On that day, the Lord will become king over the whole earth, the Lord alone, and his name alone. And that includes the president and his cabinet and Xi Jinping and Kim Jong-un and Mr. Putin and, and, you know, Mitch McConnell and Mr. Schumer won't have any microphones to, you know, pick up there and say, it won't matter. Because he and he alone will be exalted on that day. Now, friend, this is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. And this is going to be unavoidable to you. You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. Now, there's so much more I wish I could tell you about here that's coming. But you see this series link? We, we talk in detail in classes like Foundations, North Point Bible Institute, special Bible studies we do where we take time to study these things in detail and all the events that happen around the end and so forth. Can't do that this morning. But that series link listed on your notes there for something we did called Playing the End Game. You ought to check that out. You can watch that online. Those are the messages where we talk about this day that is coming. And here's the last thing. Here's the final thing I want to emphasize, and that is Jesus' ultimate evaluation. He, is, he will come again, the way the creed says it, to judge the living and the dead. And friend, this will be unavoidable. You will stand before him as the ultimate judge for a value, and so will I. The Bible says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone must give account of himself to God. And this is definitely a sight of Jesus we'd prefer not to see, but we will see it. And we must be ready for that. You know, I attended Fresno City College uh, for a couple of years, and in one of my classes, um, it was a biology class, the professor, hey, I've always been fascinated with rattlesnakes, I must tell you. And one of the things I thought was so cool is he had this big old glass aquarium, and he had a diamondback rattlesnake in it, and uh, about every 10 days or so, uh, he'd need to feed it. One Friday, we were in class, and actually saw it, feed him, and of course, feed him means they would drop a, a little live mouse in that aquarium. And I'll never forget this. They dropped the mouse in, and, uh, you know, the mouse started looking around and sees this snake coiled up, you know, over here, just resting comfortably. And once it recognizes, of course, its predator, it turned, went to the other corner, turned its back, and began immediately kind of kicking the cedar shavings on the bottom of the floor onto the rattlesnake. And I'm thinking, not a smart thing to do. I wouldn't do that to a rattlesnake. And that rattlesnake just sat there. And, and then the mouse, with its back to the snake, just kind of just acted as if it weren't there. And I thought to myself, that's wishful thinking. <laughs> You're about to be dinner. And friend, as much as we don't, as we'd prefer to not see this kind of Jesus, it's unavoidable. 
fact, look what Jesus said about that in John chapter 5. As the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. There's that title again. He will be the ultimate evaluator of all things. Now, by the way, this is really different than the Jesus of the gods. It's different than the Jesus of right now. You know what the Bible says about him? It says a bruised reed he will not break off. If something can be redeemed, he will heal it and restore it. It says a a, a smoldering wick of a candle he won't snuff out. He would prefer to breathe and, and bring it back into flame. And there are things in your life and in mine I mean, this is the time he, he would love to redeem and give life and give hope to us. This is very different, very different we're talking about here than the Jesus of right now. See, the Jesus of right now, you're familiar with this, John, it's not on your notes, John three sixteen and 17, Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, that's not why he came, but he came to what? To save it. But friend, I want to tell you, on this day, when he comes again to judge the living and the dead, the clock will have run out and there's no overtimes. The grace period will end and there's no extensions to be filed. And look at what it says, Jesus tells us, Matthew 25, and then let me just give you some truths and we'll finish this up. Matthew 25, 31 to 32 and 34 and 41, I've just lifted, go back and read this passage, it's incredible. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. You'll be there, I'll be there. And he will separate the people one from another, gonna evaluate each one of us. As a shepherd separates sheep from goats, and then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. See, Jesus says, I'm going to separate people as I judge. And those who really don't want my ways, you'll be dismissed. You'll be excused. You've joined a rebellion. You can have what that rebellion is destined to. Now, would you write these truths down? Let's do these quickly. Number one, he's going to settle all scores on that day, my friend. This is what it means that he comes to judge the living and the dead. That all the wrongs done for all people in all times, he will scrutinize that day. And he will hand out rewards and punishments. And the thing I want to help you to understand the most is for believers, he wants things to get settled so that you can go into eternity with no unfinished business. To have closure on it. 
And he's gonna judge the living and the dead, meaning that none are forgotten to God. Those who've died, they're remembered by him. They're still alive to him. None are gonna be left out or forgotten. None will be overlooked. You know, there's a lot of the dead. Frankly, I think of Hitler and some of his henchmen. They took their lives rather than have to face retribution for the, for the evils and the crimes that, that they had done. But believe me, on that day, he's gonna settle the score. I'm going to be overlooked. Write this down. He won't miss any vital detail. The Bible teaches that in the book of Revelation, I saw the dead standing before the throne and books were opened and they were judged from what was written in the books. I want to tell you that with him, there's no relevant facts that will get left out or files ignored. It will be thorough and accurate and just. He'll sort it all out. Then write this down. He'll set things right at last. That's what his judgment is really ultimately about. The Bible says he will judge with equity and according to righteous judgment. And the Bible says he's going to bring about a true home of righteousness for those who have been redeemed. Evil will be brought to its deserving end at last and good will be put in place that will stay in place forever. The Bible says on that day, The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. If you'll write this down, here's the way I want to say this. He'll finally reconcile us all to reality. Now, Pastor Shane spurred this thought in me on the first week of this series when he talked about how people today, how how you can create your own reality. You know what I'm talking about. You hear that all the time which explains why things are so goofed up today. What used to be up is now down. What was down is now up. What was right is now wrong. What was wrong is now right. Men can be women, women can be men. Good is now bad. Bad is now good. What used to be noble is now despicable. You know what I'm talking about. We're living this way. And friends, I I just want to tell you that on that day, all of our illusions and our delusions will finally face the reality to be corrected. You know, Kyle, just pointed, this is why stuff today is like 180 degrees out of phase with reality. Do you know what I'm talking about here? Am I the only one that feels this? My son Kyle sent me this, this was in the news yesterday. Would you go ahead and go to that next slide? Shark advocates call for the rebranding of violent attacks as interactions with sharks. (laughs) Now, you can tell whoever came up with that idea never had an interaction with a shark in the ocean. Do do you remember a few weeks back when the largest container ship in the world, the Evergreen, got uh, stuck? There's a picture I have of that, I think, here. Got stuck in the Suez Canal and it, you know, stopped world commerce, billions of dollars a day. Till finally, after about six days, it, it got freed. And there's all kinds of memes all over the internet on that. I love this one that somebody created structural problem, and you may not be able to read it, it says, making different personal choices. <laughs> now friends, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, 
God is all giving us all flashes of reality now and then to correct us from those things that are delusions. And will we take them or will we get grounded like this? And if your life has run aground, what's it costing your family? What's it costing our world that you're not what God wants you to be? And Jesus says that on that day, we will finally be forced to accept painful realities. And on the other side of the cookie, on that day, we'll finally be assured of the truth of what he's graciously provided for us. And we'll see that it is truer than we thought it was. He'll finally reconcile us to all reality. By the way, this is why we've got to read the Bible. This is why you need to get in this book because it will start to help you get on his frequency and keep you from falling for delusions today that people have. Some people have become so open-minded their brains have fallen out today. And it cannot be sustained, my friends. Let's finish this up. He's going to welcome some and dismiss others. His judging will be a destiny-determining judgment. And what a contrast between those he says are welcome and those he says depart from me. You who are blessed as opposed to you who will be cursed. You who will enjoy the eternity I've had in mind for you and you who will have to join the rebellion because you didn't want my way. C.S. Lewis had it right when he said, you see, we either have to say, God, thy will be done, or eventually he will be forced to say, all right, your will be done. You can go have your thing. And Jesus here describes that as fire, but you know the Bible speaks of it as darkness. It speaks of it as a party that we get shut out from. Hey, what if hell is the most beautiful place you've ever been in your life but here's the hellishness of hell. You're going to get to spend it with everybody who wants to have it their way. And his will be the final word. It will be the final word. And by the way, this judgment won't really be to determine where we'll spend eternity. It will be to vindicate the rightness and how fitting it is that we're going to end up where we're going to end up. His word will be the final word. It's authoritative. There's no supremer court to appeal to. There's no second opinion to seek. It will be final. And the Bible says every mouth will be stopped. Now, as a parent, there were times I'd tell my kids something they didn't like, and they'd say, but, 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 but. And I'd say something more, but, 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 but. And, and I want to say to you that on that day, there's no more but, 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 but. Every mouth will be stopped. Jesus said it this way, the one who rejects me doesn't reject my sayings and, and who doesn't receive my sayings has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Now, friend, here's what I'm trying to do today. And I don't want to be melodramatic at this point. I don't need to. The truth of what I've said has got its own power. I'm trying to save you and me from a really awkward conversation that will happen someday when we try to stand before him with all of our rationalizations 
and all of our logical ideas and so forth that are out of phase with what he says is real. And we'll see them for how empty they really are. Man, that'd be awkward to say to Jesus, who you are and what you did for me, I didn't think that mattered very much. I thought I'd do it on my own terms. Some of you are saying, yeah, but Steve, you're going to be there. Aren't you going to have to feel? I am. Everything I've said to you, I've had to say to myself. And I will be just as embarrassed probably on that day as some of you will be. Just as ashamed of choices that I've made. But the Bible says I got hope for that day. You know why? Because my king died in my place. And he says that when I bow the knee to him, I can either do it now in love or I can do it later in judgment, but I will bow the knee to him. And that's what I want to help you avoid is that awkward day. Will you bow your head just for a moment as I lead us in prayer? You know, for some of you, this, this message is the flash of reality that you've been needing. God is making his love and his grace and his righteousness known to your heart right now. You know that in your heart, that's where you can do eternal business with him right now. By just saying to him words like these, Jesus Christ, I need you in my life. I need you. I need what you did for me on the cross. And I receive that by faith today. I want to make you my Lord because that's who you are. Help me to begin to live for you and follow you. I turn away from doing it my way. And I want to go your way. Lord Jesus, thank you for... I, I feel like we've opened your word and we've just taken a good scrub of soap on us. Thank you for how your truth can set us free. Help us. Help us with those things you're impressing on us. Choices that we need to change. Things we need to do different. Ways in which we need to live because of what we've experienced in worship here today. And we pray these things in your saving, powerful, holy name.